Welcome to episode 20 of A Legitimate Salvage, your episode-by-episode guide to the expanse on Amazon Prime. We're here to talk about episode two of The Expanse, season four, Jetsam. But first, let's go around and introduce ourselves. I'm Katie Burt. I'm Chip Sutterth. And I'm Jen Burt. So right now, um, we're recording. It's been about two weeks since the entire season four of The Expanse dropped all at once. We've sort of been complaining before that we wished that they'd sort of uh, drip it out week by week. And at the time that we're recording this... You know, the Mandalorians just wrapped up its uh, first season, and they did the week-to-week, and that seemed to work for them pretty well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, oh God, I really, I, especially as someone who covers television, really appreciate a week-to-week um, drop versus a entire season premiering at once. Um, but I, I do, it is interesting to think of the differences between Disney Plus and Amazon. Um, you know, Disney Plus obviously just launched and Amazon already has so much content, is doing so many other things. I will say that in terms of my actual watching, I feel very comfortable just personally, not professionally, you know, watching at my own pace. And obviously having this podcast allows a certain structure to that as well. And oftentimes I watch The Expanse with Jen and our friend Justin. So that also creates a structure because we have to figure out when we can all watch. But the thing that really feels... Um, missing for me in the experience is just the, I guess, mostly online, even though it happens in person too, discussion of each episode as its own piece of the story. Um, Yeah, I miss the kind of content and conversation that rollout structure facilitates. Yeah, I totally agree. I was like, uh, I mean, I just have to, like, I muted a bunch of hashtags, but then sometimes still, I just have to, like, scroll really quickly through my social media so I'm not spoiled. So there's that aspect, which I think actually I've done a pretty good job of not getting majorly spoiled for anything. But beyond spoilers, I just miss, like, the... All the fandom is discussing the same thing at relatively the same p- pace, and it's much easier for me to keep up with like I have to watch one hour of television a week to be able to be part of this conversation or if I miss a week I can kind of catch up yeah I miss that (laughs) yeah I wonder if because there is such a new potential audience for the expanse that may not have discovered it on sci-fi and isn't it weird to think about an audience not picking up on something on a TV network that they might pick up on a streaming network. That's weird. But you've got three seasons worth of story to get through if you're new to The Expanse. So I'm not sure that a weekly release would have been all that helpful for getting the show out there. I don't know. Yeah. And obviously, Amazon has a strategy that I'm assuming is working for them. So, you know, if that's what gets the show made and tons of money thrown at it. I'll make my prediction. Season five is going to be weekly drop. That's my prediction. That would be great. I love that prediction. With that prediction, should we talk about, let's go over the episode summary for this week. Sure. Uh, So this is episode two of season four for those of you who have binged the whole thing but are trying to reorient. So here's what happened in this one. On Illus, Holden's crew and the RCE investigate the structures and the source of the metal locust swarm. 
both of which have protomolecule tech origins. The structures are older than life on the planet, but they're currently dead. The investigator, however, convinces Holden that they are a key to understanding what killed the Ring Builder civilization and urges Holden to clear a tree root, a tree root, <laughs> that is blocking the machinery and the structure. That wakes something up, and Holden barely escapes as powerful lightning begins striking nearby. Meanwhile, in space, a Belter pirate named Marco Inaros has been identified as continuing to scuttle and space the crew of inner ships. And under pressure from the UNN, Drummer and Ashford start lining up OPA support for taking Inaros out. On Mars, Bobby Draper is invited to a state dinner for the first ever visit of a UN Secretary General. You'd think that'd be a step up after Bobby's brought in for questioning in a murder case and otherwise humiliated as being disloyal, but she's just mad at being used by Christian. She gets to distract herself, however, when she discovers that her nephew and his girlfriend are tied up in a drug ring and forcibly extracts him. Don't mess with Aunt Bobby. Oh, and something we forgot on Illus, Naomi's cardiovascular system is not responding well to the gravity drugs, and if she doesn't take it easy, she could die. Uh, and that's everything that happened in Jetsam. We should start by looking at what happened on Mars. Uh, and we start with Arjun, who's now played by a new actor. Uh, and Christian... You know, I'd missed that. <laughs> I was very, very confused for a moment. The like, first time I watched this episode, I think I was immediately like, that's a different person. And then I rewatched it before recording this episode and I'd already acclimated to the new normal and wasn't really thinking about it. Yeah, even though I watched it with subtitles on, I missed who he was in the first scene. Yeah, you're like, who's this dude she's hanging yeah. out with? <laughs> even though he said, like, the subtitles say his name and then he says he's the first gentleman. Uh, nice. But I missed that. Yeah. But there's so much going on. So sometimes you're confused or I'm confused. But uh, this is the first time that the UN Secretary General goes to Mars. And it's also, we're starting to get even more of a look at Martian culture, what it's like on Mars, through both Bobby and Christian. Uh, and we have in this first scene, they're kind of comparing Mars to a lot of different great civilizations, the cathedral builders, and they have this kind of comparison of Mars to Sparta and Earth to Athens. That's what that's sort get? of me extrapolating there. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would you like to extrapolate further? <laughs> I just think it's really kind of neat. We've been seeing bits of this stuff in previous seasons. The way Earth and Mars sort of look at each other, uh, the one Earth as sort of decadent um, and Mars as sort of hard scrabble and looking to the future and building, 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 building and militaristic. And I was just as we were doing the show notes, I was like, wait, Athens and Sparta. It just made perfect sense to me at the time. It's interesting seeing Christian's arc over the whole series as she is just so much more observant and respectful on the face of it anyway of how Mars is different and what they're accomplishing and who they are. Yeah. I love getting Arjun's input or perspective here as did Christian. I love the line she has about, I love the things I like the things you see so much more than the things I see, which feels like a way of saying, I love you. That isn't, I don't know. I thought that was just such a beautiful sentiment. But in general, just his like little mini speech or observation on the way that 
Mars is able to see generationally and to the, that comparison to the cathedral builders, I thought was, it just made me think about our own culture and how I think we've lost that to a certain extent too. Um, and just like the breakdown of community or like contributing to collective goals and the devaluing of that sort of thing. Yeah, it was cool to see that presented as a beautiful thing, although it obviously has its its downsides as well. Um, and to get that perspective from someone, you know, we have Christian and Bobby, who we get to see the Martian culture through, who they have very different perspectives, obviously in different backgrounds, but are two people who are much more actively involved in, you know, the politics of the solar system. And to have someone who has... A distance from it also give his perspective is yeah it's, it is an interesting contrast um well also you understand why i don't know he almost has like a privilege of distance that makes it easier to have like a simple and or optimistic idea of these different major major cultures i also think it's interesting you know thinking about mars as as more of a sparta and like how does this militaristic kind of push towards these goals? And you kind of see a little bit more of that maybe with Bobby of like the regimented nature of, even when she's in this kind of like listless existence as whatever, it's like the third class mechanic, whatever mm. she is, the woman keeps referring to her as like having a, a police raid in her like very low class job just seems very standard it seems like everyone is very much part of these different everyone has a class everyone has a title mm -hmm. and i thought that was really interesting to see from that perspective a lot of these discussions and depictions just kind of reminded me of chernobyl which we watched earlier this year oh, wow. <laughs> i know and the depiction of soviet society and yeah, I guess the idea of everyone having a place and contributing towards this larger goal and maybe not having it be normal to ever question or push back against that in the way that happens maybe, maybe more in our culture. And again, this Chernobyl is a show that is made by Americans about, you know, this period in, in Soviet history. So that is not the same thing as people making a story about their own culture. But that was a thing that I kept thinking about when I was watching this episode, because I also think that that show depicts that kind of that ability for a society to come together. And because of like sheer, just like so many people share like numbers and people believing on a common goal, even if they don't totally understand what the goal is, even on a logistical level, but an, on a value level, they do. And it's depicting that as a positive thing in addition to a, I guess, yeah, depicting the positives as well as the negatives of, of a society that is structured like that. A lot of that is about the role of propaganda. And you have this moment at the state dinner where Christian is giving this speech where she's referencing Admiral Souther and her, as, as her friend and kind of putting words in his mouth as he, she's has Bobby there whether Bobby's there for, as Christian says, to kind of show 
other Martians that Bobby has friends in high places or whether as as a kind of somewhat propaganda tool. It's really interesting to see Christian selling these ideas. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't make up my mind whether Christian was selling those ideas sort of knowingly at Bobby's expense or was kind of oblivious to how this would affect her. Because being invited to a state dinner, you know, yes, Bobby's rocking a really great suit um, (laughs) (laughs) in in this episode, but it is a humiliating experience for her in in the end. And, uh, And I just couldn't quite tell whether Christian knew or cared. I mean, she obviously cares about Bobby, but in the end, she's basically just using her. Yeah, I read it as being oblivious, but that doesn't mean that wasn't a choice because Christian has, she has the ability to put herself in other people's shoes and she uses that to, you know, be a good politician and leader. And she's choosing not to think about how this would affect Bobby in this moment because she's so focused on other goals. And I think, again, that's part of what makes her effective (laughs) in lots of ways, but... I think she was ignorant and oblivious in the sense, but I think it was a choice. And I think she she was using Bobby. And I think those those things can definitely go hand in hand. Seeing the scene where Bobby's confronting her as she's leaving the dinner, I wasn't sure if Christian, she seemed kind of taken aback. And it, I wasn't sure if it was because she hadn't totally thought out the ramifications of inviting her or if because Bobby was so emotional in a way that we don't, I think usually see from her. It's such a complicated moment because Christian is someone who has so much power, but that power has limits in the sense that, you know, she could give Bobby a job as she, she offers, but again, a failure of empathy to understand that that's not what Bobby wants. She is so dedicated to some dream of Mars, whether, you know, that's, I think that's changed to a certain extent, what, how she, she defines that, but she's still, believes in it in some way she believes Um, in mars even though mars doesn't believe in her yeah Yeah. i I feel like last week we were talking about how it is a depressing storyline in some ways but i think it's also it's like an example of resilience that we haven't seen depicted on this show in this way before i think and often isn't i think it's sad in some ways but i think it's also incredibly admirable and hopeful and is what creating change in your community and culture looks like <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> it's not big, glamorous decisions or speeches. It's just, you know, maybe showing up for this job <laughs> that sucks <laughs> um, and making the choices you can when you can. Yeah. And meanwhile, we just have Bobby busting up this... Uh meth lab this drug lab that uh <laughs> warren seemed to have predicted uh last week we don't have warren this week but he saw this uh whole drug ring scenario he, he, coming he saw a drug ring plot coming and he also saw and he was also shipping the hell out of bobby <laughs> and lily her, her nephew's girlfriend and uh <laughs> I, I know at least two of us were just barely containing ourselves when he said that. <laughs> I know. I'm sad he's not here today to give us some more predictions on what's to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It is interesting seeing Bobby in this different role 
Uh, we haven't seen her with any of her family members. You know, her father gets a mention when she's on Earth. And that relationship is kind of her superior officer tries to use it to, like, manipulate her into doing what he wants. But that's, yeah, that's the closest we've gotten to really learning more about her family. And they don't go into a lot of detail here, which I think is smart because there's only so much time. But it, yeah, it's interesting to see her as an aunt and (laughs) to know that that is a part of her identity and like her family she has you know this loyalty to her family as well as to mars and i wonder how those two things are maybe tied up in with one another he definitely feels like a uh, he's not a, he's not diogo but i feel like he has some of the same vibes <laughs> <Her> <laughs> <nephew>. <laughs> yeah he's not diogo <laughs> wow he's got the floppy hair <laughs> He he doesn't always he doesn't think about the consequences of his of his choices and actions as is common with young people. <laughs> he is not people. Diogo. I would know. <laughs> I, I would know. <laughs> it is nice to see Bobby have a chance to like stretch her her marine muscles. It's just it does show you like she is someone who Mars has put so much training and Mm. effort into and for her to be able to do things like that and yeah it is it is interesting like what what role does does her skill like where should her skill set be used in a culture that is in theory moving away from militarism and Mm. is moving away from her I mean, mm. yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I, 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 at this point in the story, it's hard to see where she's going to go from here. I know. It really is. It's like, I don't think a job with Christian. I, that's a interesting idea, considering her skill set. You know, she says, like, I, you, she has a lot about how you invited me here, and I don't understand this world at all. Like, paraphrasing. But what does she do with this skill set? What does she do with a culture that maybe doesn't value her anymore and is actively hostile to her? I think we're going to have to wait till episode three to four or, or longer. longer. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Because we could well, keep talking about Mars for a while. Yeah, we but... could. But there's other stuff that happens. <laughs> yes. And other there's... places to go. Ex- people to I see. Know, because we have this whole other uh, storyline on illis or new terra or whatever we're calling this planet there's a similar sense from the belters of like we want to try to build something here finally you know we're taking there's a line about we're taking we took an ice ball on ganymede and turned it into a garden and it's juxtaposed with mercury and the rce just totally dismissing any of this belter settlement and dreams I like how Christian and Arjun are, you know, doing this sort of like give and take and sort of even though uh, Christian is or still a political player, you know, she's at least recognizing the humanity and the differences of the Martian people. But just as like Martian society is dismissing Bobby because she's developed that sort of wider sense of her responsibilities, you know, Mertry and the RC. RCE folks uh, dismissing the Belters just out of just out of habit. You know, 
I'm detecting a lot of authoritarianism in Murtry, obviously, and and part of authoritarianism is just not even considering that uh, the other people, you know, are people with rights. You know, it, it's not even a consideration. I don't think even, even think Murtry hates the Belters. He just doesn't care, and that's that that sort of callous cruelty, especially right at the end of the episode, that's just really bone chilling to me. Well, there's even the the scene when he and Amos return from finding the incendiary device or whatever it is, and he goes up to the woman who is in some way the leader of this settlement, and it just issues an ultimatum in a way that totally disregards any system that they have to maybe deal with this. You know, he doesn't know what their system of justice that they've set up is he's just like i want heads basically Mm -hmm. and he doesn't even wait the 24 hours to get them (laughs) murtry is an interesting character because or seeing him respond in that way i think you're right jen it's important to articulate his reaction because if it was the belters who blew up the transport ship and killed all these people it is understandable that you would want some sort of justice for that and for people to be held accountable. But he, yeah, it shows how little he values the Belters as people and their community as any sort of legitimate community that his, yeah, his reaction is just to demand things and to kill someone for very little. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now that was a threat and that's all the excuse that he needed to pull the trigger. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting, in addition to Murtry, to see um, kind of like the casual racism of a character like Lindy Greenwood's character, whose name I looked up before this episode. I can't remember. It's Dr. Elvie Okoye, Okoye, Mm -hmm. who is shown to be a much more thoughtful, um, way less violent person. She's a scientist. This is what she's interested in. But she makes a few comments to Naomi... And about the belters that are just, you know, very much essentializing who they are and making assumptions about who they are that Naomi keeps kind of calling her on, which is great. And, you know, this is someone who doesn't seem to be a bad person, but that doesn't mean she isn't also contributing to the dehumanization or essentialization of this entire group of people that she doesn't, as far as we know, have, you know, that much experience actually dealing with or getting to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, why is it that we have to wait for the Rossi and the RCE crew to arrive for a serious investigation of the structures mm-hmm. and everything like that to happen? Why Why aren't the Belters depicted as doing any of this themselves? Mm-hmm. I think that's a real gap in the story here. Well, I do think it is. You know, they have that scene with Alex in the the kind of medical area and he's so shocked that they don't have one of those um an autoclave oh uh, yeah thank you magical uh, cleaner uh, <laughs> and she's kind of like oh yeah we had it for a day and are we gonna the dust busted it and I guess the only I I agree I am frustrated that they haven't done any sort of it seems investigation, but it does seem like they are there with 
such little resources. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, Chip, that that is frustrating. And I think it's actually part of a larger frustration I have with wishing I understood this belter colony on Illis a little bit better Mm -hmm. and got a little bit more of their perspective. Um, Because especially like the woman who leads them, I don't really, we don't get to see, spend that much time with her. We haven't so far. And a lot of the people that we see Murtry interacting with all just feel kind of interchangeable, including the person he murders. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's hard. There's only so much narrative time to spend. And we do get to know some of the other characters there, including the doctor. And we get to see her family a little bit. But it would be interesting if in addition to getting that kind of like sneak peek in the first episode of them going, you know, through the ring gate and choosing to risk everything to make that trip. If we were able, if we had been able to like, you know, see some of that process, I don't know, like through flashbacks, which I guess could come later in the season or just, yeah, scenes that don't include any characters we already know, I guess. Like if we, yeah, it's always there's always another character that we already know better and care therefore care about more who is in that scene um yeah so we'll see what that looks like moving forward in this season yeah i mean we've got uh, eight more episodes to go in the season some of us are further along than others but so there's plenty of time for the show to develop the story in that direction but this isn't the first time that i felt like the show has sort of a muddled sense or hasn't really thought through colonialism. Mm, yeah. And, <laughs> and um, you know, the, the Belter colonists, you know, they've colonized the planet and there was no other living civilization there. So at least you don't have that conflict. But Earth in the persona of not just Mercury, but technically of Holden and his crew as well. You know, it's like... They're colonizing the colonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of layers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I just, I hope that later on in the season that uh, this stuff is thought through more and it's, all, and it's fleshed out better. It's not as bad as, say, the last five minutes of Kerblam on Doctor Who, <laughs> where they suddenly decided that uh, op- oppressive corporate structures are A-OK with me. Uh but I knew it was going to be watching. a Doctor Who example. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like to seek out at some point some not white, mostly American perspectives like us that have maybe a good perspective on like what it means to be colonized in more recent history and their take on the show. Because there's a lot that like I sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable with. Or Wish was a little... Yeah, I I would love to see someone, or more than someone, multiple people, (laughs) and what they think of some of these storylines about. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it's so interesting to listen to Kara Gee Mm. talk about her perspective on the show, the actress who plays drummer, who is First Nations. And in the interview we had the group of press that i went to the the season five set with had with her about some of those themes which i can't even remember if we explicitly asked 
about them. I kind of think we didn't. And she brought them up as something important or something she thinks about in relation to whichever storyline we were talking about. Yeah, she had this moment where she was talking about the character of Christian and how she is this example of a strong, powerful woman leader and how amazing that is. And also, you know, a person of color leader. But she's also a co- like the colonizer yeah. <laughs> and how how wonderful Shari's performance of that character is and how it makes you forget that sometimes. I think the show sometimes forgets those things as well, for especially when it comes to its main characters. Mm-hmm. More to explore. Maybe more will be unfold as this season mm. and the storyline goes on. I hope so. It seems like the people that are creating it do have some sense of this. Yeah, are asking these questions. Yeah. Other things, you know, the, the Belters don't have uh, a lot of tech to investigate these mythical, or mythical, I don't know, they feel mythical. Mm. Ancient. Ancient things. They also don't have good alcohol, but uh, Amos doesn't care. He's just uh, excited <laughs> to hang out. He's like, I'm camping. Yeah. He, I love how excited he is to go camping. Although he doesn't get to go camping. No. At least in, uh, yeah, because he, he hooks up with uh, Chandra. He finds a different place to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although they, or they didn't, they didn't, didn't <laughs> they got too much sleeping. No, they didn't get too much sleeping. And then they were interrupted by Mercury, you know, shooting someone. <laughs> but yeah, Amos has a love interest or at least... A someone he sleeps with interest. Yes. There's something with benefits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't guess we'd call that the softer side of Amos, but it is interesting to see him uh, making a connection uh, with somebody who's not related to our core group of characters. It's also interesting just seeing the, the dynamic play out. You know, she's involved in Mertry's security team. She is... Almost as horrified as anybody else when Mertry shoots the belter there at the end. Mm-hmm. Whether she thinks he's done something unspeakable or she's just afraid of the situation spiraling out of control, I'm, I'm not sure. But I'll be interested to see where this character goes because uh, she makes an early connection with the outsider and yet there feels like there's an immediate tension there. Yeah, I love the exchange they have where she's like, are you after my job? And he was like, no, I have a better job than you. (laughs) Which is true, as far as I can tell. But also, I think is interesting. Like, it does seem to be a thing that she cares about. Like, keeping this job that, in a lot of ways, is probably a good opportunity. Um, It doesn't seem like, maybe even on Earth, there's a lot of even jobs. Like, there aren't enough jobs for people. We know that. So, yeah, that's something that she values. And I don't know. I don't know if this is Murtry's, like, first, murder. you know, murder. Or, I assume not. But I, I'm curious, like, what the job has looked like so far for her. Because she doesn't seem to be a person without morals who isn't, like you were saying, Chip, horrified by this turn of events. But she's also in this you know, she's working for this guy and has been for at least a little bit. Well, it's also, I think the conversation about her thinking that Amos is going to take her job tells you something about what kind of a person she is and her skill set. 
So I'm excited to see that of like, oh, is she some kind of just enforcer security person? Yeah, that that seems like an interesting dynamic that will play out. Yeah, they're both they both very much feel like kind of like free agents in this in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I do love the part where I can't remember who's calling Holden, maybe Alex and or sorry, Alex calling, calling Amos. Yeah. And Amos kind of hangs up on him. He's just like, ah, like I'm doing the thing that Holden told me to do. Like, leave me alone, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so while he is off doing his own thing, the rest of our Rossi crew is somewhat in different parts of the episode investigating these strange formations. And we have... Watch out, Holden! The door's <laughs> closing on you! <laughs> <laughs> that scene really stressed me out. <laughs> it did Even me though... too, although, you know, we've been talking about the show having a bigger budget. Mm-hmm. Can't quite tell it for the cliff scene here. <laughs> No. It's not exactly an expansive set. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What about that reveal that the investigator has all these voices in his head? Mm. It's hard to track sometimes how much of the investigator is Miller, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, when we saw him in episode one of this season, he was a little more off and uh repeating and, and and stuff but the conversation is more natural and the investigator is more emotional than we've ever seen before i think or maybe i'm just reading into it but you know exhausted with all the voices in the investigator's head it made me forget uh his line ahead of time prior to that where he's encouraging Holden to deal with the root or whatever. And he says, hey, we're all doing someone else's dirty work, kid. I'm just flipping switches, you know? I'm feeling like he flipped a switch. I'm feeling like he's treating Holden like a switch. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think you mentioned this last week, Chip, that we, for the first time, maybe see, or maybe it was even last season, we see the investigator's perspective at some point. And it is interesting that we get to see his perspective in this episode as well. You know, just thinking about to, you know, look back on our earlier conversation about not really getting the illest colonist perspective. <laughs> um, we do get the investigator's perspective, even if we totally can't understand it, um, which I think is an interesting choice. Yeah. And it separates the investigator from Holden. So he's not just like this vision that is mm-hmm. tied to Holden, but he's got his own agenda. Or yeah. an agenda that's been set for him by something else. You know, he's, he is separate. When he disappears after Holden cuts the root, root and everything starts going, you know, suddenly I'm not trusting him anymore. Mm. I also wonder if he has his own agenda or there are maybe more than one agenda going on. I really got the sense, yeah, with all of these voices and kind of the way his voiceovers when he's looking at the what are we calling these giant things i don't know (laughs) the structure Uh, structures uh the stargate (laughs) and he almost seems like he's battling himself a little bit in those scenes i'm really Mm. curious what the heck is going on with the investigator which is not something i've always been able to say (laughs) yeah i agree with that investigator appreciation thread (laughs) yes i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry. He's got a he's got a hat. 
He does. He's got a, a hat and he's got cop stories. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think at this point too, Stephen Street and uh, Thomas Jane have fallen into a really great back and forth when they're interacting. I laughed out loud when he's like, "No more cop stories." I lo- I just <laughs> like, it's, I can't do it. It's great. <laughs> so to continue to talk about the what's been left behind on this planet by the proto-molecule, the builders, whoever these people are. I was really curious about, you know, who even opened these doors? Like, there's, this is, <laughs> I still think I'm making a face. I'm like, ooh. Okay, it looks, I don't, yeah. Just, there's that scene where Holden and uh, Naomi are in their quarters, and uh, he has a conversation with the investigator. And it's like, oh yeah, now there's a way in. I This feels very stargating to me, but I'm I'm totally into it. <laughs> As someone who didn't watch a lot of Stargate. I like the feeling of not knowing, having any idea the answer to a question of, you know, f- from a story that I'm invested in and feeling like there is an answer. <laughs> like the people who are making the story have an answer. Um, so I hope that's true. Book readers, don't tell me. <laughs> I may become one of you. Speaking of Naomi... We have this reveal that her heart and her cardiovascular system are not adapting oh to being on a planet. And it, it's given after this beautiful scene with her and Holden talking about what her first day on a planet was like. And then she's hiding that she's in a lot of physical pain. And uh, she makes Alex say nothing mm-hmm. about it. And Alex honors her request. I do like how he sort of manipulates the situation on the Rossi. You know, she starts to say that she's coming out to investigate the structure with Alex and Holden. Alex sees the opportunity and says, no, I we need somebody to monitor. And she accepts that and, and seems to be relieved that he gave her an out. I don't like seeing Naomi suffer. I just I just don't. I got really mad at Naomi in this episode. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, what? not like really mad. I found her behavior very relatable. <laughs> but I do think, I don't think The Expanse is, is doing this necessarily, but I do think this kind of behavior of like not admitting when you're in pain or, you know, have a very big problem <laughs> um, is often treated as or depicted as like a strength, this kind of stoicism. And I don't think that's what it is. I think it's it's often fear. It's, you know, denial. And these are things that I don't often associate with Naomi, which which makes it interesting, I think, to see her going through these sorts of things. And, you know, she's only just found out that this isn't working. So this is her initial reaction. And again, I find it very relatable. Uh, but it also stressed me out. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, I think it's, it's pretty selfish for her to ask Alex to keep this secret. Uh, I also, I do love that we get to see Alex be that person who's find finds her and takes care of her because, you know, as, as we, as we've spoken about before on this podcast, I think this is one of his most um, interesting and wonderful traits, his, his like skills and as a nurturer <laughs> Um and we do get to see a little bit of that here. 
I'm willing to cut her some slack at this point because it, it has been. Yeah, I mean, I anger, that... anger is not, <laughs> it's not a negative emotion. It's just, it's it's how I'm feeling. Oh, no, I, I feel like we often agree. Mm-hmm. So this is good. <laughs> I also was thinking when we see her and she's just on the intercom with or the communicators with Holden and Alex and she can't physically be there and she's getting so stressed out. I'm like, how long could it possibly last that she isn't part of the action? She's so bad at not. Mm. I can't. It seems so hard for her to just hang out on the Rossi. I also was like for her in that scene where she's not sure if they made it. I'm just like, oh, my God, someone answer Naomi. <laughs> like, hold it has time to be like, here's your hat. I'm going to make a quip about it. But not to let Naomi know that, you know, he's alive. But to be fair, the hat gag was kind of nice. I, watching it no. a second time, I was like, why is he holding on to that hat? He should be focused on climbing. I love the hat gag. <laughs> Because, like, you watch, the second time I watched it, and he catches it in his hands, and it's like, why? I think that's something that's just instinctive. You just catch something. Yeah, but it's also instinctive to then be like, I need my hand to climb. Maybe it was helping him grab onto, like, roots or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it is interesting to think about that Naomi stuff um, in relation to this other storyline we see with Drummer and Ashford finding out that the person who's been leading a lot of these... Um, attacks against the inner ships is Naomi's ex dun, dun, dun. Marco and Naros. with my perspective on the Naomi hiding her heart difficulties storyline as being an example of her demonstrating denial which is a thing that I don't often or indulging in denial which is a thing that I don't often associate with her character it is interesting that Marco comes up because as we've seen her talk about before and as drummer kind of insinuates to some extent when mentioning that Marco, you know, got his claws into Naomi at an earlier point in their lives, she had a certain amount of maybe denial about that situation too. I mean, not to put too much of it on her because he sounds like a real piece of work. Piece of work. Thank you. I don't think we know a ton about Drummer and Ashford's this whole storyline yet. It's really setting something up, but I do really appreciate the conversation where they're with the reveal of Marco being this pirate because I love their conversation about how does a smart person end up with someone like that. I also love that Drummer doesn't say anything about Naomi's relationship with Marco until she confirms that Ashford already knows, which I think is a real interesting like detail of friendship. Yeah. More and more, even though they are separated by a ring gate and thousands of light years or whatever, um, you know, it's these little things that whatever the relationship is, I like <laughs> that it is constantly being deepened uh, mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, that mm. th- there is a bond of trust there that, if anything, it's just continuing to grow. Yeah, it's such an example of good storytelling that the story doesn't forget about the relationship relationships characters have with one another, even when they're not actively in the same storyline or in the same space. I feel like another really good example of this in this episode is when 
someone, you know, Christian's like minion comments on how well she's walking in her like sh- her shoes, and she references Amos. The Amos, you know, teaching her how to walk in the in the space boots. Yeah, like I think that's important world building um, to maintain those interpersonal relationships in some way, even when they're not actually imminently important to the story that's being told. I think at this point we've exhausted our discussion of all of this world building. We have gone for the entire length of the episode. In that case, please follow us at Legit Salvage on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on the Uncomfortable Network and where we find podcasts. And thank you so much for joining us on a Legitimate Salvage. We'll be back soon to discuss Season 4, Episode 3, Subduction. Until then... I get my answers, you get yours. <laughs> How'd I do? How'd I do? Was that Thomas Janey enough? That was great. Perfect. That was great. I, I assume you're wearing a hat right now. Yeah.